0: Hello ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now. Here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. This is a replay of a LinkedIn Live that I did last year. Lately, I've been leaning into the hourly side of the hourly to exit journey, whereas this time last year, I was emphasizing the exit side of the journey. So I wanted to replay this because it addresses kind of that early stage when you're trying to put the foundation in place that you need to grow your business from an unscalable, oftentimes hourly, one-to-one model to a scalable one-to-many model. So before you invest your precious resources, whether it be in coaches or legal fees or other things to develop a one-to-many offer, whether that is products, licensing programs, which you know I love, certifications, or even something as seemingly simple as a digital course, you need to be able to answer three important questions about the quality of the intellectual property you want to use. One, do I own what I think I own? Two, If I don't own it, can I use it? Three, am I doing everything I need to do to protect what I own? So today's episode explores the second question, whether or not you can use something that you didn't personally create. So if there's anything in your business that you are using, even if you're currently using it with your one-on-one clients, it is a separate question about whether or not you have the right to include it in your new scalable offers. So, this is what we'll talk about today. Listen and enjoy. We're going to be talking about the sources of intellectual property as well as the uses of intellectual property. And so, this is kind of a master kind of overview. We're going to talk about each of these elements. And basically, we'll be talking about whether or not your use is unrestricted or if it is restricted. Now, Exactly how your rights may be restricted would be dependent upon the documentation and would be dependent upon the circumstances. And therefore, giving you an opinion about whether or not a particular use is restricted would, of course, be legal advice. I don't give legal advice over LinkedIn Live. I will be able to give you some guidelines about your circumstances for you to think about whether or not you have restricted or unrestricted use with respect to any piece of intellectual property. So let's first talk about your sources of intellectual property. So where does the intellectual property that is in your business, flowing through your business, where does it come from? So the sources, you, of course, it could be your employees, if you have employees, I'm talking about your W-2 employees, employees that you are paying employment taxes for. Then you have your contractors, Those are people on your team that are not your employees that you have engaged to create deliverables. And then you get the IP from other third parties as well. Your client can, of course, be a source of intellectual property. Oftentimes, our clients will give us materials that we are to use to provide services. We can get intellectual property from a licensor via a license agreement. And then we can get them from other sources as well, which we will talk about. So how do we use intellectual property? And I like to put them in these five buckets. Of course, they can all be broken down further. But the main buckets would be tools, marketing, client deliverables, products, and exit. And of course, I'm talking about the perspective of the service-based business. And when we have a service-based business, we are primarily talking about copyrights. Yes, there's going to be some trade secrets. Yes, there's going to be some trademarks. But for the purpose of this conversation, we're talking about copyrights. So those things that are in writing or created creatively, put in tangible form, photos, graphics, software, books, trainings, things like that. So those are the things that we're talking about during this conversation. So your tools will be the things that you use internally. These are the things that you use in order to provide services to your clients. So those might be your standards and procedures. You may have a database. You may have a resource library, frameworks. You probably have some sort of productivity tools or things like that. For marketing, those are things that are public facing that are not for sale. So your website copy, your lead magnet, your newsletter, your social media posts, and you know your speeches or your slideshows for presentations you have your client deliverables. So you'll notice that client work is both a source of IP and clients can also be a use of intellectual property. So when we have our deliverables in the service-based business, we are delivering intellectual property to our clients as well. And then products would be those things that we create for sale, like books, trainings, licensing program. And then an exit would be in the event that you sell your business Can the intellectual property go with it? So those are the buckets of uses for our intellectual property. So top level answer regarding the unrestricted use of IP, do you own it? Do you own it exclusively? And if you do, then you have unrestricted use. It's really that simple. If you do not own it exclusively, then you have restrictions on how you can use it. So how do you get exclusive ownership of intellectual property? Default under copyright laws is if the human who created the intellectual property, who created the the copyrighted work, owns it. So if you created it and it's original to you, you own 100% of it. If your W-2 employees created it, then as the employer, you own it 100% as the owner. And then the third is if there's something in writing, signed in writing, that changes that dynamic so that the creator is not also the owner. So if you engage a contractor and you have a written services agreement with that contractor that assigns the rights in that copyrighted work to you, then you are the owner. And so in those circumstances, you own it, you have unrestricted use of it for all those five buckets of uses, unless you created those materials as part of a service for a client. So that's going to be addressed in the restricted use. But anything that is created outside of a client engagement, you own it in these circumstances and you have unrestricted use of that IP. And then I'm going to go dig a little bit deeper regarding the contractor because that is by agreement. So you need to have the right words in your agreement to make sure that you own the rights. So the important magic words here, when you have a contract, when you have a services agreement, you are the client in this instance. Your contractor is creating something for you and you want to own 100% of it. You want to make sure you have the magic words, work for hire. And so those are copyright terms so that it is as if you created it yourself. Very much like W-2 employee, when they create something for you, a contractor who does something for you as work for hire, you're also the owner. But because there's some specific language regarding work for hire, you also have just this assignment of all rights, just in case it doesn't fall into the scope of a work for hire, then you also get an assignment of all rights as well. So that is to make sure that you own everything from a contractor. Now, if you have a contractor who has some pre-existing material, so let's say for instance, you are a coach and you hire someone to create your website who has like a template for coaches' websites, because it's Magic. And so they take their template and they layer on your branding, your copy. So you own that, but you don't own that template. And so your vendor, your contractor will carve out the pre existing materials so you won't own those. So those are things that you won't own and that are subject to a license. So that is the bridge between you have some that is unrestricted and some that is restricted if there's any pre-existing materials that's covered by your signed contract. So if you don't own it, everything else, there are restrictions attached to the use. And so the specifics of those restrictions will depend on how you receive them, whether you receive them via an agreement that has terms in it, whether you receive them without an agreement that has implied terms and what those terms are. Exactly. So anything that you don't own, there's going to be restrictions. So if you've engaged a contractor and there's no signed agreement, who owns that material? The contractor, because the default is that the human who created it owns it unless there's something signed and in writing. And of course, any carve outs, even if you pay for it, you tell them exactly what to do. If there's not a signed agreement, then the contractor owns it. And what you have is you have a non-exclusive license to use those deliverables for the purpose that they were engaged for, but they own the copyright. So your use is restricted to what you hired them to deliver to you and for the purpose that they were delivered. So for third-party materials, let's say it's client work. And this is both incoming. The client has materials that they've presented to you to work with. So that's incoming as well as outgoing. So you've now created something for the client and you've delivered it to the client. Let's go back to this lovely language where in this case, you are the contractor and your client is the one who is getting all of those rights in what you created as a work made for hire. And to the extent it's not a work made for hire, you are assigning to your client all rights in that deliverable. So here you're on the other side of that language. And so your client owns 100% of those deliverables. And I think you know that anyway, but that is the language that solidifies that. And if for whatever reasons you're doing work with your clients without an agreement, then you do own that material. Of course, I don't recommend that for either party's comfort, but that is the default. And then for the licensed materials, So let's say you went through a certification program and as part of that certification program, you have a license to use the materials. Maybe there's a framework that they let you use. Maybe there are training materials that they let you use, meaning there is a valuation tool or an assessment tool that they let you use as part of the license. And every license is going to have terms in it. It will say like for how long you can use it and with whom you can use it. Is it for internal purposes only? Or can you sublicense it? Can you allow third parties to also access those same tools and materials? Or are there restrictions around maybe even the type of person that you can work with? And so you will want to know, you understand what's in your license and you're going to want to make sure that the license covers the use that you need it for. Sometimes the license will be too narrow for your use. I have a client who actually they are licensing information from a database and the default license limits their ability to use that database. Like you can't take the information from their database and combine it with your own information. That's the default license, but my client actually needs to be able to combine it with their information because it's more powerful. They can then perform whatever processing with it in order to create better insights. And so they needed to go back and negotiate a broader license to not only have access to the data in the database, but to be able to integrate that data with the data in their own databases to get the full value from it. Now, does that transfer ownership of that data from the licensor to my client, who's a licensee? No, it does not. So the license still governs what they can do with the data, even permits them to combine it, but at the end of that term, when they're no longer paying for it, they have to remove it from their database and return it all to the licensor. So you do want to make sure that don't assume that your license covers all the uses that you need. Where does other come from? Probably one of the major ones that people don't really think about is from our old employers. We leave employment and we take some stuff with us right? that we use that we think aren't proprietary. But at the end of the day, whether or not it's a secret is not determinative of whether or not somebody owns it because most materials that are covered by copyright are not secret, right? Because they have to be registered. Let's say they have an employee manual. So we take that with us and maybe we use that and that's not ours, that is theirs, it's not yours to use. Maybe there's some templates like services agreements people might take and those are your former employer's property. And so when we don't have a license, we are in danger of infringing a third party's copyright. So that brings us to our fair use. The only time fair use comes up is when lawyers are involved. Fair use is not something you want to rely upon. Basically, it means you have used someone else's intellectual property without their permission, and they've come to you and said, you're infringing my copyright. And if you feel like, no, I think I have the right to use this without your permission because it's fair use. That means you're claiming that you're not infringing their copyright because of fair use. Right. So that is not an affirmative right that you can receive up front. That's not a safe harbor. It's something you have to assert if somebody accuses you of infringing their copyright. That is our overview, a high-level overview of how you can use the intellectual property that flows through your business. We talked about the ways that it comes in. Unless you own it 100%, there are going to be some restrictions. So you're going to want to understand the terms of any agreements written or implied because you can have implied licenses as well. Maybe if you got something from the internet, we've talked about Creative Commons, maybe it's Creative Commons. Maybe you have a handshake deal and you have a non-exclusive license, but you need to understand the limits of your uses so that you are not in danger of infringing the owner's copyright. So can the services agreement with a contractor be by email? The answer to that is it can be by email. However, in order for you to own the exclusive rights, in the deliverables, it has to be signed. So the transfer of intellectual property rights is one of those areas of law that you have to have something signed. And so the transfer of real property is another one of those areas. If you do it digitally by email, it's enforceable. So you can make them deliver the deliverables to you. And if they breach the agreement, you can sue them but you will not get your exclusive copyright by email. You cannot get that by email. Is it fair use if I give credit to the original material? No, it is not. So the copyright owner has the exclusive rights to make copies, to distribute it, to perform it, to display it, whatever the nature of the material is. That is their exclusive right. And giving credit to them does not give them that exclusive right. That takes away the exclusive right. So if you've used the material without permission, regardless of credit, then you are in breach of their copyrights, their exclusive rights to what happens with that material, unless you can successfully assert fair use. So if it is fair use, I assume you would have given credit but that is not determinative. I am actually writing a newsletter today as it will be on my website, a blog post about fair use and what the circumstances would be to assert and hopefully win a fair use defense. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. If you have any questions, you can always reach me through LinkedIn and you can of course access the free resources on my podcast website, hourlytoexit.com or through my regular website, thinkbeyondip.com. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.